0: Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby Say Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the kennel, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go.
1: This week, we're going to move from having a magnificent character to having a magnificent attitude. And if you thought that being authentic and being tight with God was difficult. We may step on some toes today, but that's okay. About nine of my 10 toes is black. So uh, I'll definitely join with you. I told you last week that, uh, that we was hunting in Texas and I was probably 14 years old, something like that, which would have made my brother uh, nine, 10, I was 13 or 14 and I had a 1973 international four wheel drive pickup. It was a four speed, right? And we had a set of hunting seats in the back. Now, some of y'all people didn't know what a hunting seat was, and it's just this big old frame that you bolt on the side of the bed of the pickup that lifts you way up, and you can sit there, and you can use it as a gun rest and you can shoot, see, because you're way up high, right? So we had the, the hunting seats in the back, and, and we're driving down this road, and it was real brushy, and that's why you put those seats way up high so you can see over the brush. And my dad and my little brother have their guns up, and they're in the hunting seat, and I'm cruising along, and my dad tells me he kind of knocks on the on the hood with his foot, or the top of the truck, which means stop, right? So I stop and I see, I can barely see these horns through the brush. Well, this road is the only clear shot, so he's waiting for that deer to get to the road, but along this road is a fence line. And if you've ever seen a deer jump the fence, they pause right before they jump. They gather themselves up, and I knew my dad, he's a good shot. He was waiting, and that deer comes up to that fence, and he hunkers down to jump, and that 22-250 goes off. pa! And it knocks that deer down, but that deer jumps back up and tries to jump the fence again. And so I take off, right? Why? And my dad's yelling, go, go, go. I'm grabbing another gear. He's yelling louder, go, go. I'm grabbing third gear. I hit fifth gear in a four-speed pickup, right? And I'm watching that deer, and I'm listening to my dad go faster, go faster, and he never tells me to go faster, so I'm digging it, right? Except there's a diversion dike. That I do not see because I'm paying attention to everything else except the road. Now diversion deck is where they make water flow a certain way. And it's basically a speed bump about this high in the middle of the road. And I hit that thing about 60 in a international pickup. Whoa. We went back and measured it. Fourteen feet I jumped that truck. Not not high, but you know, length. And if you've never had your stomach just fall through your knees, jump a pickup with your nine-year-old little brother two guns, and your father in the hunting seats that ain't got seat belts. We hit, and the first thing I hear is somebody hits the roof of the pickup. And then if you've never had your stomach fall through your knees, you don't know what it's like when your dad lands on the hood and grabs a hold of the windshield wipers, and he's looking you eyeball to eyeball as you shut that thing down. I'm going to be real honest with you. I did not know what to do so I did the only thing I knew to do I slammed on the brakes and watched my dad slide right off the front I seriously considered running over him because I knew that would avoid the butt-chewing I was about to receive but God kinda put my foot on the brake and I went ahead and stopped well see now you have to understand that up until I was about this age my dad had been in law enforcement since I was two years old when we lost the 42 section ranch in West Texas so he'd gone into law enforcement so he would pulled a lot of people over I've never, this is the only time in my life that my dad has got up in front of the truck, walked around to my, pa- my driver's side window, and knocked on the window. I sat there and I looked at him and I thought, uh-uh, I, ain't, <laughs> I locked the door. <laughs> He's mad, right? And so I rolled down the window. He leaned on that window and he said, what part of woe do you not understand? I said, don't you understand that woe rhymes with go? I said, "Why couldn't you just say stop?" He looked at me and he said, "Good point. Good point." Well, you know, he he done saved my brother's life because he saw the diversion dot coming. That's why he was yelling me to whoa, 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 which I thought meant go, go, go. And he handed the the guns to my brother and said, "Wrap your arm and your leg around this bar and hang on." And that's about the time I hit it and he flew over and like to killed everybody. Woe and go sound just alike, but they mean two different things. I mean, to the point that it's nearly completely opposite, yet they sound just alike. If we are going to have a magnificent attitude, there are two other words that sound exactly the same, but they mean totally opposite, and they get Christians in a big old wreck. And those two words are meek and weak. Now, now those, those sound... Just the same, meek and weak. But they are completely opposite. Hello? Oh, there we go. Uh, Meek means absolute strength. Absolute strength under control. That's what meek means. Weak, on the other hand, means absolutely without strength. Do you see how those two, man, they've got the same words, they sound alike, but they are totally different. One means absolute strength under control. And weak means absolutely without strength. They're, those two things are polar opposites. You know, Jesus was the strongest man who ever lived. And might I say that he was also the most dangerous. He was the most dangerous man that ever lived. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, they, they come to, to, they're fixing this the night before they crucified Jesus. They set him up on this false trial. They're going to arrest him. They're going to crucify him, and he knows what's coming. He just got through praying and sweating drops of blood, and they come for him. And when they come to arrest him, old Pete jerks out his, his bowie knife, and he whops his fellow's ear off, and Jesus is like, hey, 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 stop it. And Jesus says something that just touches my heart. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 26. Do you think that I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. He's like, "Hang on. Hang on. Pete, there's no, there's no there's no need to defend me because do not think that I cannot call on my father and at once. Meaning Jesus, God ain't going to have to think about it. He says, "At once he will put at my disposal in other words, whatever I say they will do. That I will put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Jesus is a strong fellow now now that that may just kind of sound funny to you let's talk about numbers here what is a legion a legion is at least six thousand troops it can be up to twelve thousand but there has to be in order for it to be a legion it has to be at least six thousand troops okay now Jesus said that do not think that I cannot call upon my father and he will send me more than 12 legions so I want you to do some math. You cowboys might have to, you know, take your shoes off or something. But if Jesus said twelve, more than 12 legions, and a legion is 6,000, that is more than 72,000 angels that God will send at once at my disposal. Okay? Now, in Elijah, there's a story about this army's going to come, and they're going to wipe out all of God's kiddos, right? But God says, don't worry about it. I'm going to send an angel to take care of that. An angel to take take care of that and in one night that angel killed 185,000 men one angel to protect God's kids but Jesus said do not think that I cannot call upon my father and at once he will put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels to come and do what I tell them to do you want to talk about powerful that is power right there because if one angel can kill 185,000 I think he could have killed more because that's all there was, was 185,000. So we can say at bare minimum, one angel is capable of killing 185,000 people. And there's 72,000 angels. Allow me real quick to do that math for you. That is 12 legions of angels is capable at the bare minimum of wiping out 13,320,000,000 people. And there was like half a dozen that come to arrest Jesus. Jesus is like, look, guys, if I didn't want them to do this, it wouldn't happen. That is strength. That is absolute strength under control. He goes on to say in verse 27, but if I stop this, how can the scriptures not come true about what I was sent to do? This is all happening according to God's plan. That is meekness. That is the epitome of meekness is that you have All of this strength. And you have, those of you that have accepted Jesus Christ and are following him, you have at your disposal a power that is unimaginable, but it must be used in meekness. So what does meekness look like? Meekness looks like strength that is always measured and controlled. Meekness is strength that is always measured and controlled. You know, if you ever get bit by a rattlesnake, you better hope that it's bigger than smaller, okay? And I know that sounds crazy, but a small rattlesnake cannot, once it bites, it'll inject you with every bit of venom he has. But a large rattlesnake knows that he can't eat you, so he may not even inject any venom into you. He may bite you, and there may be some residual. It's still going to hurt you and mess you up, but he's not going to inject you full of it because a large rattlesnake knows how to control its venom. A small one doesn't. Isn't that the same with the small Christian man? They just try to go out and use their power for anything, and, and there's no control whatsoever. God wants us to have that type of power, have that strength, that type of strength, have that type of ability, but under control. You know, at times of stress, you know, we can say, "Oh yeah, that that's me meekness. That that that's the way I am." Well, that's easy to say when we're sitting in a controlled environment like this. People say, well, "I can rope stuff in the arena." But what happens when you've roped a bull and it's running straight downhill and jumps off a four-foot little bluff? You still going to be able to follow? Because that's a lot different than back here in this arena. And that's the difference. A lot of people want to be meek, but what do you act like in times of stress when things aren't going your way, when your world seems like it's falling apart, when people are attacking you and cutting you off and, and it just seems like everything has just gone to hell? How do you act then? See, that's where true meekness will reveal itself. Not when everything's good, what does meekness look like? Meekness allows you to accomplish the impossible that 's the type of power you wield as a follower of christ jesus said, "You've seen me do these things, but you will do greater things than I did in God. Jesus raised people from the dead, he healed blindness, he made the uh, the lame walk. I guess they hate Facebook because he made the dumb speak. That was funny, but i guess I guess it's a little warm, but anyway, you, you know what I mean anyway. Jesus did amazing things and he said when I leave here the Holy Spirit's going to come down and y'all are going to do greater things than I've done my gosh the power that we have at our control but you're only going to get that power when you use your spiritual gift for the betterment of the kingdom of God in service of others see meekness allows you to accomplish the impossible however weakness makes it impossible to accomplish anything and you know what you're going to be one of the two you either going to be meek or you going to be weak. There ain't no gray area. Because, see, God, both of those come from our heart. And we may act and we may say and we may want, but our heart reveals who we really are. And you can be meek, but it takes absolute strength under control. In every situation, no excuses. I didn't say it'd be easy, cowboys. This is following God, man. Anybody can follow the the world. They just just go do whatever you want to do. In Romans chapter 12, 14 through 16, the apostle Paul tells us about meekness. He says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. See right there? That's meekness. That's what I want for you. That's what God wants for me. And that's what God wants for all of us is to have that type of power. Do you have it? Do you want it? If you have it and want it, you got to use it in service of God. Because it's those gifts that you can just do whatever you want to with it. The second thing of, of having a magnificent attitude, number one, you got to be meek. The second thing that you have to have as far as attitude goes is you have to be a magnificent peacemaker, okay? A magnificent peacemaker. A guy named William Barclay said this, Jesus demands not the passive acceptance of things because we are afraid of the trouble of doing anything about them, but the active facing of things and the making of peace, even though it's through struggle. Now, another way of saying that, it is not passive avoidance of, ca- of conflict that makes a peacemaker, but the active passing through conflict to get to the heart of the matter in the pursuance of peace. You know, uh, uh, a, a peacekeeper feeds the alligator in hopes that he will be the last one eaten, right? Kind of like that deal, how do you outrun a bear? You ain't got to outrun the bear, you just got to outrun your buddy, you know? That, that's peacekeeping. God didn't tell us to peace keep he said to peace make he says go deal with the alligator don't feed the alligator in hopes that you're going to be the last one eaten deal with the alligator and that's a lot harder than feeding it it's where meekness comes in that type of power to be able to deal with things that seem impossible but with God's power we can work through them four things to be in a now I can tell you that that I didn't come up with these four things and I don't think even the guy I'm fixing to tell you about came up with these four things but in a book called The Four Agreements, a Toltec Indian put them together and said, this is the key to to living in peace with yourself and with others. And it's called The Four Agreements. It's a great book, okay? Number one, if you want to be a peacemaker, you've got to be impeccable with your word. Now, what does the word impeccable mean? I don't know if it's Greek or, or Latin or whatever, but the root word like peccus or something like that means sin. And if you put an I-M before it, it means without so impeccable means without sin. and so when we say that you must be impeccable with your words that means that your words must be sinless now I'm not talking about saying four letter cuss words that's not what I'm talking about but I am talking about we gotta watch what we say because words have power we gotta watch what we say to our kids we gotta watch what we say to our spouse we gotta watch what we say out in public because people are listening we got to be impeccable with our words but not just the words we speak how about that little voice that you're listening to right now you know that voice that when i was talking about meekness and weakness and power what were you telling yourself whenever i was talking about that were you like oh that's crap i don't think he uh, you know he's just a preacher that's what preachers are supposed to say no man that's what the good book says jesus said blessed are the peacemakers for they will rule the earth What's your inner voice saying to you? And to say that you are not in control of that voice that's running through your noggin right now means that you are not in control. And that's not what God's Word said. He said He gave you free will to do what you would with your life. And He promised to bless you if you gave your life to Him as a living sacrifice. So you've got to be impeccable with your words, the words that you say. You've got to be impeccable with the words that you, that you have running through your brain, through your mind. And you also got to be impeccable with your word meaning what you say you better do you want to be a peacemaker you got to be impeccable with your word the second thing that you've got to do is never assume anything I didn't say it'd be easy never assume anything me me and Odie and Buck were sitting right over here outside the barn yesterday and we talking about this and how difficult it is and I said you know what comes to mind when I say don't assume anything it's like this here I said I said Buck It's like this. What if I said, pick a number that I'm thinking of between 1 and 100. Now, if you get it right, you don't get anything. But there's a 99% chance that you're going to get it wrong, and if you get it wrong, you lose everything. How many people are going to take that bet? Yeah, I bet you. I ain't going to win nothing, but there's a 99% chance that I'm going to lose. That's what assuming does. Yet we go throughout our lives and we assume that we know why, why Kevin's saying this or why our, our husbands or our wives are acting this way or, or why our bosses are a jerk or why are, our government's gone to crap and why people are so offended. And We just make assumptions all day long. We've got to quit that. If you're going to be a peacemaker, you need to quit the assumptions. The third thing you have to do if it wasn't already hard when I'm saying watch what you say to yourself watch what you say to others keep your word do what you say you're going to do and never assume anything man the third one if you thought those two things were hard how about this one right here if you're going to be a peacemaker if you're going to have absolute strength under control you know what you got to do you can't take anything personal you can't take anything personal because it's not even when somebody attacks you and tries to make it personal it's more about them than it is you. We can't take anything personal. And even if it just comes right down to it and it is personal, you know what God said? He said, let it go. That ain't about you. They're the ones that's mad. Now, if we did something wrong, that's different. We need to, we need to own up to stuff. But if we're honorable, then we won't take anything personal. Man, if you, if you wanted to say, I, I would like to know how Christianity would change my life because, see, I've been going to church and I've been hearing a lot of these promises and everything, but I don't feel nothing happening in my life. It's because you ain't doing nothing in your life. Start today and be impeccable with what you say inside your mind and the words that come out of your mouth and the promises that you make or the things that you say you are. You be that person and you quit assuming and you quit taking everything so deeply. Personal, I was fixing to say a bad word, and i just fixing to negate everything I said. Quit taking everything personal. And the fourth thing, if you want your life to change, you do those three things, and I think the fourth thing is actually a culmination of those other ones. It's this right here. Always do your best. Always do your best. It don't matter if you're walking to your truck. Do your best. If you are helping somebody, do your best. If you are at work, do your best because the good book says do everything as if unto the Lord. And if you ain't willing to give Him the little things, you ain't going to give Him the big things. You want your life to change. You want to be magnificent. You want to have absolute power. You've got to have an attitude of meekness. And you have to have the attitude of a peacemaker because the ultimate goal of all of this is to live in peace with ourselves and with others. That's what God's called us to do, especially within the church. I get so sick and tired of, of people bad mouth other people and everything. Oh my gosh. Man, shut your mouth. Seriously. In Romans chapter 12, 17 and 18, good book says this, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you. Now, listen to that. If it is possible, for as it depends on you, doing everything you can do if you can't live at peace with everyone let me read that again never pay back evil with more evil do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone romans chapter 12 verse 17 and 18 there's a battle that the magnificent seven have to go and fight the seven spiritual gifts is given to every believer it is a battle for truth in a world of lies it is a battle for marriage in a world that is tearing it apart. It is a battle for our kids in a world that is trying to lure them away. And it is a battle not against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities in unseen world, against evil powers in the dark world. And it is against evil spirits in the heavenly places, Ephesians 6 through six twelve. The battle is real. And if we are going to combat that evil, in our communities in our families in our with our friends in our communities in our country and in our world it will take the magnificent seven you've been called to it but you can turn it down you can walk away you can continue to live your mundane existence strive and just live in paycheck to paycheck in pursuit of what this world offers or you can become somebody more you can become mighty you can become you can accomplish the impossible instead of being Impossible to accomplish anything, but you're going to have to use the Magnificent Seven. God is going to use the Magnificent Seven, and you're going to be one of them if you choose to do so. About four or five years ago, I had a bull break my forearm in half, and I was in a cast for about seven years. That's what it felt like, and when I I finally went to the doctor after about 14 or 16 weeks of being in a cast, I finally told him, I said, if you've got to cut this off or I'm going to. He said, well, you know, the bone's healed on the outside, but it's, it's not healed all the way through. I can take it off, but you've got to be real careful. I said, what do you mean? He said, you can't fall down. <laughs> I laughed. And I said, I think I've fell down three times in my adult life. I'm a ninja. He said, well, I didn't, I didn't know, you know. I said, take this thing off. So they took that thing off, and it looked like a little wasted away Flower stem or something, all scaly, and I itched it till it, you know, wanted to peel my skin off, and it feels all funny. If you've ever had a cast, and it was snowing that day, and I come walking in that night because we did some more running around, and I go walking in the house, and I wear wear leather-soled cowboy boots, and it had been snowing, I had some snow on the bottom of my leather-soled cowboy boots, and our foyer entranceway had ceramic tile, and I didn't have a boot jack. And so I get just inside, and you better take your boots off when, the, when your boots are snowy or, you, you know, your wife don't like it very much. So I just kind of went like this to kick that boot off, and my foot went out. But being the ninja that I am, I caught myself with the other leg. And right before I was able to pat myself on the back, that leg went out, and I caught myself with the other leg. And all of this was happening at Mach 42B. Right? And so I'm waving my arms, trying to keep my balance. And I'm slipping and I'm sliding. It wouldn't have been any slicker if I was on frozen snot. And my wife is sitting there. She's trying to move in like a bullfighter, right? She's like, honey! Honey! Like that. Come back next week and I'll tell you what happened. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, God, we want to thank you for everything that you've done. And we're not followers of yours because of we come to a cowboy worship service. What makes us followers of yours, what makes us your cowboys is the way in which we do things that you command us to do. We do not do these things in the practice arena of a church service, but in the battlefields of our homes and our workplace and our communities. God, give us the kind of strength that makes the impossible possible and the courage to actively wade into the struggle for peace. Jesus, we need you so bad. Amen.
0: Hey, thanks for joining us for another clinic. Before you ride off, we have a special gift for you. Save the Cowboy has a brand new app available for iPhones and Android smartphones and tablets. You never have to miss another message, and we've thrown even more stuff in. There's a Bible, our full unedited clinics, cowboy devotionals, videos. You can even order our books or call and talk to me. That's a ton of stuff that will keep you riding right beside the Lord for years to come. Please download it by searching your app store for Save the Cowboy and don't forget to lend us a hand if God has blessed you and you like what we're doing. Just text Save the Cowboy to 77977. That's Save the Cowboy to 77977. For Save the Cowboy, I'm Kevin Weatherby. Stay out of the wire.